We adore you, Father. We are energized by your spirit. We thank you, we bless you. Father of glory, your name be praised in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in heavenly places. Thank you, Jesus. Now, uh, I think we've done more than 12 teachings, 12 to 13 teachings on fasting since uh, the month of January. Um, I'll make today the last day, temporarily, so that we can deal with other things, but I'm still listening to the leadings of the Spirit. I always want to be guided in my walk with God, especially in teaching. We've, we've taught so many things on fasting and every believer should be practicing fasting by now. It should be part of your life. Even after these 40 days with it, it should be part of your life. At least every believer here should fast at least once every week. So maybe you can spiritualize it a bit by making it the day you were born. I'm a Friday born. So you can decide to fast from every Friday. It should be a day of fast for you. Try and do from 6 to 6. 6 to 2, you have to upgrade. Try and do 6 to 6. It will benefit you. Praise God. And it's so crucial to, to understand that, you see, many, many churches call for fastings that are not consecrated fasts. It's just like a routine. We are fasting for 14 days. If you listen to all our teachings that we have on our podcast app, which everybody should have by now on your phone, you're going to realize that this fasting thing is far from what people think. No wonder churches, church members don't like fasting because they see that as a burden. But if you're in LGCC, you can't see that as a burden. You see that as a life and a lifestyle. We have benefited so, so well with this fast. And if you're here, you should know that there's a difference between fasting and prolonging your meals or there's a difference between fasting and then um, um, starvation. Don't confuse the two. Fasting is not just abstaining from food. Fasting is not abstaining from food. Fasting is abstaining from food in order to seek God. Fasting is relegating the natural to invoke the supernatural. Fasting is feasting on heavenly treasures and starving earthly treasures. Fasting is feeding on spiritual realities and starving physical pleasures. Fasting is starving the flesh and starving the spirit. So anytime you're on a fast, you should remember the spirit factor. If God is not your, the, the, the focus of your fast, it's better you find some food to eat. Praise God. So there is, there is something we practice in fasting that makes fasting fasting. And if you don't understand that, then you are not fasting. Praise God. For example, in your time of fast, there, there are ingredients that makes fasting effective. Maybe I can share a few with you here. There are ingredients that makes fasting effective before I come to the benefits. One of the ingredients that makes fasting effective is silence, solitude, and quietness before God. You can practice this whether you are in the office or not. You can be silent before God in the quietness of your soul. Sometimes in your prayer before you start praying, just be silent before God. Don't talk. 
Don't talk. Just be silent, focusing on God. Be meditating on God. Just think about God. You know, one of the, one of the proofs that a man has fallen in love is when he begins to think of his lover. And God loves to be thought of. And this happens in a place of silence, solitude, and quietness. It's not every time you just go into the God's presence, labaka, labata. No. You, you got to learn the habit also of staying silent before God. You are just quiet. You are just quiet. You're not thinking of how you're going to pay your school fees. No, I'm not talking about that. You are quiet and silent before God. It can happen in your office and you are quiet. You are in the office just like that. Your eyes are open, but you are silent before God. That is a realm you can get where you can start listening. We call that listening prayer. Prayer is not just communicating. Prayer is also listening. So many just go talk, talk, talk. Many don't know that silence makes you listen to God. You will not hear an audible voice. That's not usual. But if you practice that for some time, you are going to hear God as a still small voice in your heart. Speaking to your heart. The second thing is meditation. You can take one verse of scripture. Maybe one of the reasons why you're fasting is because you have an anger problem. And you're fasting about this. Then, you see, you must have a focus for fast. Don't fast uselessly. There are many people who are just abstaining from food with no focus. There must be a focus for your fast. Maybe you are fasting. There was a man called Smith Wigglesworth. He was a preacher. And he realized that he was destroying his ministry because of anger. Anger can destroy a lot of things. Many don't know. So he went on a 10-day fast on water. And his focus was to deal with this anger issue. So he prayed about it. Then he started meditating on every scripture the Bible speaks on anger. So he took only scriptures on anger during that 10 days. And he was meditating on it. Every scripture. It, it's so easy. Just go to Google. Scriptures on anger. You will have all of them. Put everything down and start meditating on it. If it's last, go and look for every verse of scripture that speaks about last. You see, you tell God in a fast how serious you are by what you do in it. So if it's something you want to come out of, if it's an addiction, you don't just say you are abstaining from food. No. There are ingredients that makes it effective. So you got to meditate on the word of God. Especially concerning the issue you are praying and fasting about. So if it's about your finances, go and look for God's way of prospering in the kingdom and start to meditate on it. One of the things I was doing during my 40 days was that I took every verse in the Old Testament and New Testament about God's prosperity in the kingdom. About wealth and about finances. And I realized that God is interested also in the wealth of his saints. And not every Christian will be rich, of course. But you not being rich does not mean you are not saved. Just like not every believer will be healed in every beating we be in. It's the same. But I started to meditate on them. Then I came to understand that there is a way in the kingdom, especially when you're fasting. Never fast without a purpose. So number two is meditation. Number three is praise and worship. Personal praise and worship. And this is where many of you are going to be found wanting. This fasting has taught me so much. And if you want to learn, you can learn. It's an ingredient that's, that makes your fasting effective. Many don't know that praise and worship 
personally is one of the things that downloads the power of God in your soul. It's too powerful. Learn to do your own praise and worship at home during your fasting. It is powerful. I know what I'm saying. This fasting taught me a lot. I started doing praises myself and I realized that no, I wasn't praising God enough. So I go around dancing and I'm clapping my hands. In fact, that's how come I got my, uh, what do you call it? This. So when I was at the retreat center, I, I was just praising God. I was just praising God. And worshiping God. Nailed down my knees. Now I was not waiting for a keyboard. And I realized you can actually worship God without keyboard, without any instrument. You know why? Because you are actually the worship itself. The father seeketh you. He's not seeking the instruments. He's seeking you. Those who worship in spirit and in truth. He, he's waiting for you. And in fasting, you learn the habit of worshiping God. All the worship songs you know about, sing them. Sing them. Go around and praise God. Clap your hands and praise God. I do them now. That's what I do. So before I realized, my prayer has even elongated. You never, never change. Now I'm going like this. You never, never change. You never, never change. Jesus, the same forever. You do it yourself. And you dance to the Lord. You do what? You dance to the Lord. It's an ingredient of fasting. Next, intercession intercession there is something fasting does not like selfishness if you read the whole of Isaiah 58 you realize that what makes fasting ineffective is selfishness that's how come he says that you can't do this and call this an acceptable fact that's how come you cannot be fasting and then you're on social media you are enjoying your pleasure that's selfishness I didn't say don't go on Facebook but you just reduce everything because you have a focus if it's something you want to watch, you watch it because by the time you start scrolling three or four, you've seen some funny clips that has just afflicted your soul already. Can't be on YouTube watching Basket Mouth. You're on an assignment. You're not serious about it. If your focus is truly on the Lord, nothing else matters around you. You must let God know how serious you are with this fast. When you do this, you will always have an effective fast with testimonies. So you, you practice what I call intercession. What is intercession? You plead on behalf of people. You pray for people. One of the things that makes your fast effective is praying for people. You may have problems. I didn't say don't pray about it. But first pray for people. Many Christians don't have answers. It's because they are simply selfish. It's all about them. Haven't you realized that you can't pray for 10 minutes? You. You can't pray for 10 minutes. Why? Because your prayers are about you. So you just quickly finish in 10 minutes. You don't know what to do again. When you hear someone prays for 6 hours, you are wondering, how can a human being pray for 6 hours? Well, I've always been telling you, I've prayed for 24 hours before. That was last year, I think June. I prayed for 24 hours, September. 24 hours from 2 a.m. to 2 a.m. the next morning. If you... If you are an intercessor, if you learn to pray for people, you pray for long. Because many people are going through problems. Communism is killing many Christians in China. Persecution in China. 
There are countries who have not heard the gospel. There are countries who are in abject poverty and they are dying. There are family members who are going through marital crisis and, and it has gone worse. They are all prayer topics. You write them down. Every Christian must have a book where he records his prayer topics. You must have a diary. You record prayers in it. Praying for people. Write your father's name in it. Write your mom's name in it. Or you can write Papo family. Or Okine family. I have a diary for that. I pray for all my family. As the Lord brings their names, I, I call them. Because I'm praying for family. So the Holy Ghost is going to bring their names to me. I pray for my wife every time. I pray for my children every time. Because it's a warfare. So, intercession. So, you don't just think about yourself when you're fasting. You pray for others. That makes, there are times, by the time you finish praying for people, your prayer has been answered already. Because one thing that kills the power of fasting is selfishness. I'm telling you. And selflessness begins with intercession. When you have greater problems, yet you focus on the problems of others and you pray for them. We call that intercession. And every Christian must be an intercessor if you want to have a consistent prayer life. God can use you to touch lives in your bedroom. You don't know this. You may not be on the same podium with Billy Graham. He is ministering to one million people. But listen, through prayer, you can stand on the same pulpit with him. Maybe you don't know. That's like when people catch this, you don't need to hold a microphone with the man of God to also collect your fans. No! You can be in a place of intercession and move things in your house. You don't know. You can move things in your house. There are some of you, the reason why your family is still existing today is because of your prayer. You don't know. And some of you, the reason why your husband is still alive is because of your prayer. An occult man who got converted was interviewed. Why? And he was saying he was attacking Archbishop Benson every single time. He said there was always one thing that was saving this man. The prayer of his wife. The prayer of his wife. Anytime the, the, the man does something to open the door, by the time we are going, the wife is on her knees praying for him. And by the time they get close to the man, there is a thick blood. Blood soaked on him from head to toe. They can't touch him. It was the prayer of the wife that sustained that man. You don't know the, the power of one praying family member. You have no idea. One praying family member who is praying for people in the family. That stubborn brother of yours that nothing changed him. Have you tried putting him on your knees? Have you tried putting his name in prayer? There are a lot of things I don't talk about it again. I know some people are struggling with I can't be telling you, you, are, you have sinned, you have sinned. Don't come here again. No. We can't handle ministry like that. There are people we rebuke. There are some people we rebuke on our knees. We pray that God will touch their hearts. There are so many of you, when you join this ministry, you are not committed. You know the prayers I pray for you? I have names on uncommitted members here in my diary. I pray for you every time. And soon, you join us. You pray for people. You pray for people. You spend time praying. Imagine you have 10 prayer topics and you are praying 10 minutes for each one. How many minutes is that? Huh? 100 minutes, that's one hour, 20 minutes. You know what that means? You don't know what that means. That's like I'm the least a believer can pray a day is one hour out of 24 hours. 
That's the least. So Jesus says, could you not tarry with me at least an hour? Could you not tarry with me at least an hour? So one, one hour is the basic time every believer can pray because God knows why. You have the capacity to pray for one hour. Every believer, your minimum should be one hour per day. And be so disciplined that even if you are tired, pray. When you start praying for people, you'll be strengthened. Why am I talking about prayer? Um, last but not least, studying the word of God. Studying the word of God. is so important because without this ingredient, your fasting won't be an atomic energy. You must be feasting on the word of God during your fast. Because the word of God is light. So it opens your understanding. The word of God is water. It refreshes your heart. The one of God is meat. It strengthens your spiritual bones and muscles. The word of God is honey. It sweetens your life. So you cannot be fasting without the word of God. So in your break time when others are eating, what happens when you are fasting is that all the times you sacrifice for pleasure is used for heavenly pleasures. All the times you use for break time, working with friends, you go and eat, you go and accompany your friend to also go and eat, you accompany your third friend to go and eat, you talk uselessly, you save all that time. During break, you have opened your Bible, you are reading. They ask you, why are you not eating today? You say, no, 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 I don't feel like eating. You don't have to tell them, Charlie, you say fasting, no. At church. So, I'm not eating, go and eat, I'm, I'm on a fast. No, I'm not talking about that. So when you close from work, it's not usual of you. Instead of going home, there's a park in your area. Go and pray for one hour before you get home. They can spend time with family or go and watch your TV. You spend time praying. So you don't have an excuse. Don't say my house is crowded. Go to the park. Go and pray. There are silent venues around. By 7 o'clock, you can go and pray somewhere and come back again. So you meditate on the word of God. The next one, you during fasting, you must, you must be sincere with yourself and you must have open heart discussions with God. Fasting helps you to open your heart to God. That is like any man that truly enters into a fast will never come out the same. It's a spiritual therapy. It checks on you. All your excesses will be checked. There are things you said three days ago, the Holy Ghost will remind you that what you said was wrong. Meanwhile, it's past three days. So you, your heart must be sincere. And this is very important. You, you must have open heart discussions with you. God, I'm having a challenge. Why am I not loving you? You open your heart and tell God. Because you can't hide anything from him. And one thing about the kingdom is that if you don't sincerely approach God, he's still waiting for you. Can you imagine that even salvation is not forced on you? You, you will have to openly receive Jesus into your heart. It's the same with your spiritual growth. God will not force you to grow. He will not force you to pray. He will not force you to discuss your challenges with him. But if you come to him in faith, you will never live the same. You tell God, God, something is happening to my prayer life. I'm not happy again. I'm being affected. That unconcerned lifestyle that you have is what is keeping you in darkness. That unconcerned behavior. You just don't care about your life. You don't care about your spiritual life. You are not doing... You, you, you live to meet it. I've told you guys. 
There are two pains in life. The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. You will surely go through one of these pains before you end this life. And anybody that has not go through the pain of discipline will eventually go through the pain of regret. A student who does not discipline his butt on, on, on his chair when his, his colleagues are sleeping are done. If he doesn't pay the price of steady, you feel sleepy but you put your legs in water. It's a price you are paying. Your friends are sleeping. Some are playing game. They are playing, is it Nintendo or what? Nintendo or uh, PlayStation. PlayStation 5. They'll play the whole day. You are studying. It's a price you are paying. They are enjoying pleasure. You are paying a price. Those who don't pay that same price will pay the price of regret. Why? They will rewrite. The pain of rewriting an exam when you have more exam ahead of you is unbearable. You will surely pay a price one day. So it is very important that you start now. Because you see, your spiritual life affects every other aspect of your life. And you need to, you need, if you don't believe this, you will see it one day. If you don't grow spiritually, you affect your wife in marriage. You affect your husband in marriage. Your spiritual life is what dictates the pace in your life. You don't know this. It will affect how you relate with your working colleagues. You fight everybody. It will affect how you live with your tenants. You fight every tenant. Every house I live, they say good things about me. Your spirituality influences every aspect of your life. That's like I'm, when you, you fail to advance spiritually, it is affecting everything in your life. It's not just your relationship with God. No. Your office, your family, your work, your personal life, you will struggle with so many things. Because the real Christian life is not lived when we come to church. The real Christian life is lived when we are outside of church. So you should understand the real church is when you leave this building. What, what we do when you come is that we empower you and you go out there to outlive it. So real church is what you do outside, especially when nobody is watching. That is the determination of, of your growth in Christ. So Psalm 139, the verse 23, David says something. He says, search me, O God. Have you ever asked God to search your heart? And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Look at the next verse. He says, and see if there's be any wicked way in me and lead me into the way of your, your way everlasting. Have you ever made God do a search on you? On your heart? That greed and selfishness. Have you asked God to search it out? Yeah, some of you, you'll be shocked that there are a lot of things the Holy Ghost is going to rake out. He's going to show you so many things as you're studying the word of God. He's going to point you to so many things that you've done that has destroyed relationships. He'll point it to you. Anybody who does a genuine fast will never be the same. I thought I was okay. It was during my 40 days. The Lord started showing me things about my life. I was like, God, so I had all this mess. I had all this mess. The Holy Ghost is going to bring out that pride in your heart. He'll bring it out. That last, he's going to bring it out. He's going to show it to you. And he's going to do it in a very loving way. And you, you humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I didn't know I had this problem. Please help me. That's the way of the kingdom. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Because the Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible without the Holy Ghost. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Try living without the strength of Christ and see how far you go. 
Try, try trying to be holy outside of the strength of Christ and let's see how far you go. So we will always end up coming back to God at all times. But as I come doing a fast, you open your heart before God. Lord, it seems so many things are taking time away from you. And Lord, I'm so concerned. Please help me. That's a prayer of sincerity. My love for you is growing cold, Lord. I'm becoming so lukewarm. What is happening to me, Lord? Help me, Jesus. It sounds like you are, you are being vulnerable. Yes, you always have to be vulnerable before God. You always have to be vulnerable before God. Let God have his way. Be, have a soft spot for God. Let him move your heart. Have a soft spot for God. Let God be the only one who can turn some buttons in your heart. And you will turn. And you start making him first in your life. Oh dear Lord Jesus. When you start giving God the respect that way. You wake up in the morning. The first thing you check is not your phone. To see how many people watch your status. You check your status in heaven. How you are faring. Before you move out. Isn't it amazing? The Old Testament. God says, when you work, you bring me the first tent. God always wants first place. He says, thou shalt love the Lord. God is always looking for first place. Even the New Testament, before we love him, he says, he first loved us. So God is always, he wants to be the first in your life. So anytime God feels there's competition around him, it, it, it worries his heart. When he finds competition, when your phone is not competing with God, and many of you don't know, anything that replaces God in your heart is an idol. NLT version of First John chapter 5, the last verse. It says, little children keep away from idols. I thought idols were physical graven images. I never knew your phone can be a physical graven image that can take the heart of God. It can take your heart for God away. Look, he says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. He says, keep away. So you must live a life of temperance. Self-control. Make sure everything you are doing is in temperance. Don't overplay a game. Don't overwatch a movie. Don't overuse a phone. Don't overspend time with friends. Don't overcall people. At the expense of your Christian life. So the problem about you is overindulgence. Men are prone to be to overdo things. Never fall in that class. I have control over this phone. I can turn it off. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. I can turn this phone off the whole day. I uninstalled my Facebook account when I went for the 40 days. It's a discipline. Try it. You try putting off your phone and see how uncomfortable you feel. That tells you the state of your heart before God. Please make sure you kill every idol. Pack them. Throw every idol away from your heart. And let God be the first. And listen. There are benefits of making God first. When you make God first, he makes you first. He says, I love them that love me. This is not the one the love God has for every Christian. 
There's a certain love that God develops from you. That only happens when you fall in love with him. That is the love that comes by intimacy. I'm telling you. Have you forgotten that Jesus Christ had 72 disciples? Out of the 72, there was an inner circle of 12. Out of the 12, there was an inner circle of 3. And out of the 3, there was an inner circle of 1. The 12 disciples, James, Peter, and John, the 3, then it came to only John. John was the only one who says, this is the disciple whom Jesus loves. That love was not the love Jesus had for all of them. It was a love he had for John specifically because John was the closest. So there's a love God develops for men who, who fall in love with him. Proverbs 18, 17. There is a love God develops. He loves everybody. But there's a love he develops for you when you love him back. I love them that love me and those that seek me, Elisha, find me. So this love is for those who seek him. James 4, 8. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Are we not already close to God? We are in Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one coming to the Father except through me. Haven't we believed Jesus? Haven't we come through the way? Aren't we with the Father? Yes, we are the Father. The Holy Ghost lives in us. So we are near to God. But listen to me. In that closeness, there is a closeness. And that one, it is not God's responsibility. God did his best by living in you. That's the closest he could get. And God has done his part. But there's a next closeness that is initiated by you. He says, you draw now. And he will draw now. So that one does not come by God. It first begins by you. When you start drawing here. You see, so don't confuse the, the difference between relationship with God and intimacy with God. One came by the cross. The other comes by carrying your cross. One came by redemption. The other comes by self-denial. And you initiate it. And it doesn't matter. You may be the busiest person. Your work may be stressful. It doesn't matter. It is, the issue is with the heart. There are people who pray 16 hours and you are still not close. There are others who pray 30 minutes. And by the time they are done, the Holy Ghost has saturated the whole environment. See, there are people who are carrying God literally. You don't know. The same words I'm sharing with you, someone will share with you and you'll be sleeping. There is a closeness in closeness. And that one, you must initiate it. You must draw near to God. And you see, that intimacy comes with a price. It comes, number one, with discipline. You discipline yourself that whether you are sleepy or done, because you have a time you have made to talk to him, sleep itself is not powerful enough. And because you want to avoid oversleeping so you can pray, you eat less than you sleep. You see, when a Christian begins behaving that way, he's, we are all not the same. We are same in identity, but not the same in function. And every Christian must know this. There are some that are closer to God than others. You don't know this. You don't know this. We can't be the same. Our manifestations will be different. Our heights will be different. While we can go, we're different. There are some prayers that can be answered by intimacy. It is not supposed to be answered, but intimacy answers it. 
That's why come a man of God who is anointed can place a word on a man that will fight against him. It's not supposed to be so. But God has honored the man so much that even if he speaks negatively, God must answer it. That's how come in your closeness with God, you don't abuse the authority he gives to you. So we are all in a relationship with God, but we are all not intimate with God. You can't go to your uncle's house if you are not intimate with him. You can't enter his bedroom. You can only be in the hall. So there are levels of intimacy. You can go to a friend's house, but in the friend's house, you may stay only in the hall. As you grow in intimacy, you cannot go to the kitchen and open the fridge. That's the second realm. The next realm, you cannot use their main washroom. In the next realm, you can enter into your friend's bedroom. Now you can have tete-a-tete discussions with you. Because now, though you are friends, you have not become family. So, it's a practical thing. There is a price to pay for intimacy. It will cost you something. But what you lose in that price you paid is, see, nothing can be compared to what you gain with what you lost. You must love God. I'm telling you. When you love somebody, there is something that shows. When you fall in love with somebody, you spend time with the person. When you are in love with Jesus, you will spend time with him. I'm telling you. When you are in love with somebody, you spend on the person. Lavishly. When you fall in love with God, you spend on God. You don't care what you lose. There are things we do for love, bro. There are things we do for love. And not many Christians will go that journey. Not many Christians can go that journey. But those who break out the circles of the world, the circles of the flesh, and the circles and the boundaries the devil has created for them not to go beyond. And if these people move beyond the veil, I've told you what happens in the tabernacle of Moses. It's a picture of a relationship with God. The first place you get to is the gate. You pass through the gate, you, are, you enter into the tabernacle. When you enter into the tabernacle, the first thing you see is the altar of burning sacrifice. That is the place the sacrifice is offered to God and the sinner is accepted. But you don't finish and stay there. The next thing you go to is the brazen lava where there's water. It prepares you to go into the real tabernacle proper. You wash your hands. The priest will wash his hands and wash his legs. Why? Because he was stained by the blood and was stained by the dust. So he has to wash his legs and wash his hands. Then now he enters into the tabernacle proper. So now he has moved from the outer court. Now he has entered into the holy place. In the holy place, you see the lamp stand which gives light. Then you move also into the place called the altar of incense. That's you burn incense and it rises like perfume. Then you move to the table of showbread, which is a place where we call that the table of his presence. But now in between the holy of holies and then the holy place, there is a veil there. You must go past the veil before you enter into the holy of holies. Now, Christ fulfilled the first part for us. When you enter through the gate, Christ is the gate. So you, are, you have entered into salvation. But you are a sinner. So the first thing you see is the altar of sacrifice. 
in the altar of sacrifice, Christ became the offering that was burnt for you so that you can be accepted. So you have passed that level. Number two, you get to the brazen lava. Jesus Christ becomes the word that cleanses you. As you are cleansed, you go to the first part, which is called the holy place. In a holy place, you see the lampstand. Christ is your light. You see the altar of incense. Christ is praying for you, interceding for you. You see the table of showbread. Christ has called us to fellowship with him on, on one table. Then he broke the veil. That's why when Jesus died, the veil in between the temple ran from top to bottom. That means every man has equal access to God. So Jesus brought us into the holy place, the, the holy of holies. And now every believer by position is in the presence of God. That's the highest realm Jesus brought us. No one will be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. But you see, Jesus finished all that for you and brought you out to restart again. Now you are in Christ Jesus. You have come through the gate. But there's a problem. The altar of incense was offered. Everything on the altar was offered. Now you must offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now you become the burnt offering. You offer all your hearts to God. You give your will to God. You give your mind to God. You give your money to God. You give everything about your life. Everything is dedicated wholly to God and nothing is left. Because on that altar, nothing was left. Including the feces of the animal is burnt. Everything is given to God. Your thoughts, your veins, your arteries, your eyes must be wholly dedicated as an offering to God. And you must do that. Then you are brought to the brazen lava. The Bible says that he might sanctify her by the washing of water by the word. So the word of God is the water. You must come to the word of God to be cleansed by the word of God. They cleanse their hands and their feet from the dust. That means that, it, you see, the dust represents the world. As you walk in the world, your feet will be stained. As you listen to TV, the radio, they will stain you with thoughts that are not consistent with the gospel. You must use the water to wash it. You must be a word addict to get your life cleansed. God doesn't do that cleansing for you. In 1 John chapter 3, the verse 4. If you read the verse 3 first, he, 1 John chapter 3, the verse 3, he says, look at the verse 2 first. He says, Beloved, now we the sons of God, and, do, and it doeth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when it shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is a future reality. Look at the next verse. He says, and every man that had his hope, if you believe Jesus is returning, he says he purified himself. This is not a purification done by Christ. This is a purification done by you. He purifies himself even as he is pure. You do that on the lava. And until you have washed your hands and your feet, you cannot go into the tabernacle proper. That means there's a certain realm you cannot enter with God until you have purified your life. You can never, because anybody that entered without purification died. There are some realms you cannot go into God until you are purified with the word of God. Until you live a pure life. Then you enter into the holy place. That's another realm of advancement in the kingdom. When the word of God becomes your absolute light, we call that the menorah. That's the lampstand. In the menorah, it gave light in the temple. Inside the menorah, there were three things. There was the wick. There was the oil. And there was the fire. The oil was the spirit of God. The wick is your spirit. And the oil is the anointing. 
Are you sure you are ready? Can you catch this thing? You must come to the place where the Holy Ghost saturates your spirit man. Until you begin to bend for the Lord as a light. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 from the verse 26. He says that. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good deeds. Why did he say? He says, let your light so shine before men. That they may see what? Your good deeds and glorify your father which is heavy. This is when you have become a light. There are many of you who have agreed that you have been made a light, but you're not shining. How do you shine? Good works. The world becomes the light that guides your life. Then you move to the altar of incense. The altar of incense is your prayer life because the altar of incense rose up. It was believed that in the tabernacle, even if the wind blows from the east or from the west, the, the incense smoke moved in one direction. It never, it never changed by the wind. It just moved straight up. Can you see how supernatural it is? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the incense was the prayers of the saints. How many incenses have you burnt this week? Any believer who does not pray is an unfaithful priest. Who has failed God in his priestly service. He has not failed in salvation because your salvation was not wrought by you. But you have failed God in your priesthood service by your prayerlessness. And remember, every priest functioned on the behalf of the people. That means that if you are truly a priest of God, you will function on the behalf of the people of God through prayer and intercession. You stand in the God for them and you begin to pray for them. You pray for them. Then you come to the table of showbread. In the table of showbread, there were 12 breads representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The breads were the same size. They call the table of his presence. That means we have all been called into the same fellowship. Nobody is higher than anybody. Nobody has more access to God than another. Christ Jesus has given us access to God. But this access I'm talking about is the access of someone who is now practicing that fellowship. It's one thing to be called into fellowship and it's another thing to engage in fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 The Bible says God is faithful. And by whom also ye are called into the fellowship of his son. So God had a fellowship with Jesus and you were called by his faithfulness. So your fellowship with God is not maintained by your faithfulness. Your fellowship with God is maintained by God's faithfulness. It is God who is faithful, not you. So that means your fellowship with God cannot be broken by your unfaithfulness. Because God's faithfulness keeps that fellowship functioning. But you see, you must engage in that fellowship. We call that communion of the Holy Ghost. You must commune with God. And when communion is in place, that breaks forth through the veil. The veil represents your flesh because your flesh will always be a limitation for you to access the realms of God. So a believer who is not willing to deal with his flesh will always have a veil that will prevent him from enjoying intimacy with God. Your flesh is the veil. So your flesh can be a limitation to you enjoying God. Never give in to your flesh. Never. And when you deal with the flesh, the veil is opened. You enter. You see the Ark of Covenant. We call it the Ark of His Presence. Where you literally house God in your soul. God is in the spirit of every man. 
But God is not fully functioning in the soul of every man. Because your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. Has God taken, off, taken over your emotion? Where your emotions are now geared towards God. Your emotions are now powered by God. You don't feel what you want to feel. You make God feel through you. He takes over your mind. You just can't think of anything. You don't think of, you don't use that mind now to retaliate to others. Because that mind does not have space anymore. It has been flooded with God. That's a man who people can see and see literally the glory of God working in him. He does not need to be in clerical. People will see you and see a light behind the light in the room. They can find you out that this guy is anointed. That's how can people be asking, why are you a pastor? They've never seen you preaching, but people can ask you that because they can see the glory. And that's when you enter into the holies of holies. We call that place the place of intimacy. You have passed the stage of you offering everything to God. The place where the word of God cleanses you and purifies you. The place where you, you shine as a light. The place where you pray. The place where you commune with God through the word of God. And now you've entered into the place of intimacy. In that place, only Moses entered there once a year. So in that realm, nobody enters there. Except men who have paid a dear price. Moses paid the price. He was in the wilderness for 40 years. He knew the counsel of God. Remember, the Bible says Israel knew the acts of God. But Moses knew the ways of God. Until you have known the ways of God, you can't come to that place. You know why? Because it will scare you. Do you know that that voice that sounded like thunder to Israel and they said we shouldn't speak. It was the same voice Moses heard. You see, if you have not come close, you will hear the voice of God differently. There is a place where many believers don't want to go. I want to bring you there. Because that is the most enjoyable place you can ever find. This was the place the apostles got to. No wonder they were willing to die and they died in joy. They were not thinking of how to solve financial problems. You know why? Because when they think it, it is solved. Money was not a problem. They were willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. It's the place of intimacy. You give everything to God. I said, God, bring me to a place where nothing matters to me again. Where I don't find it difficult to give anything to you. I said, God, you own everything. You own everything in my life. The Lord says, give your TV out. I, I, I said, gladly. I never questioned God twice. He said, add your laptop to it. I added it. I want to get to a place when God speaks, I don't bargain with him. When he speaks, it's final. When he rebukes me, I know I'm forgiving, but I kneel down and apologize. That's another realm. You know, there are people who are messing up around, you know, they will just fornicate and say, oh, we are forgiving one, uh, our past sins, present sins, and future sins. Yes, that's true. But you can mess up with that understanding. When you don't understand that understanding. You can get to a place of intimacy where you know you are forgiving, but you are accountable to God now. He has now arrested your soul. You, you, are, you are very responsible with your action. When you mess up, you go to God and kneel the Lord, I'm sorry, aren't you forgiving? Yes. It's the same as marriage. You made a vow to your wife that you will love her on that day. 
But every single day you tell her I love you. Right? You didn't say because I said I love you on my wedding day is over. You still tell her I love you. When you mess up, because I made a vow to you that till death do us part. Even when you go and mess up as a man and you go and cheat and you come. You don't say because she made a vow that she will love me to the end. So that means that vow is still binding. You apologize to her though she has made a promise. In the same way, God has made a promise not to count your sins against you. But because you are, you are in a relationship with somebody, you must be sensitive. You see, that's another realm. Now you are so accountable with your actions that when you hurt God, you hurt that you have hurt God. That's a place of intimacy. You become so worried. It's not condemnation. It's so much concern that you have hurt the one you love. That one comes when you are intimate with the Lord. The things people will do and be laughing about it. You see it and your heart is grieved. The beer people can drink like that. You see it in your heart. The bright people can take and do evil things. You see it in your heart. Pastors can fornicate just like that. You see it in your heart. Your colleagues are telling you it's okay to try it. After all, Jiwini, they tell you that. But now it has become a concern to you because you value that relationship. You value that relationship. You, you see, a man or a woman you respect, you don't easily hurt. You reverence and honor and respect God. We call it the fear of God. The fear of God is not running away from God. The fear of God is not when you see God, you are running. No, that's not a fear of God. That was the counter fear that came as a result of the fall. That's how come Adam was running away. And God was shocked he was running from him. There is a fear of God which is absolute reverence to God. You honor God so much that what God loves, you love. And what he hates, you hate. That's another realm altogether. And when you come to that place, you don't need supervision. You don't need supervision. You are a check on yourself. You are sincere with yourself. You account to yourself. See, when you see me do something you don't like, relax. God will catch me. He will catch me in the place of prayer. He will deal with me. He will deal with me. Because my heart is open to him. God use me. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the verse 20. I realize that there are different vessels in the body of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the verse 20. He says, but in a great house, talking of God's kingdom. He says, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth some to honor some to dishonor so the bible is telling us in god's kingdom there are two vessels there are vessels who be unto honor to god and there are vessels who are christians who are unto dishonor look at the next verse it says if so that's a con there is a condition in the new testament see you cannot please god without conditions I have studied this thing. I'm telling you. You cannot please God without conditions. He says, if a man therefore purge himself 
from this. He says he shall be a vessel unto Anna. That means not every believer will necessarily be a vessel unto Anna. That is how come we all not have the same results in heaven, in heaven. Because there are some who are laboring above some. It will be unfair on God's side. And God cannot be called just if he gives everybody the same reward. We all have the same salvation, not the same reward. We can't go and sit down for people who sacrifice their life for the gospel. This Bible you are holding, people gave their lives. William Tyndale, he translated the Bible, one, uh, one of the versions. I think he translated one, I've, I've, I've forgotten. He was killed by the Roman church in the then times. He was killed for assembling the Bible. And you are holding the Bible today, you don't read it. Someone gave his blood. Did you hear that? Someone gave his blood. You think we'll have the same reward? No. I might say go on a dangerous mission. No. You can be on your knees to spend two hours to pray for missionaries. That's a price. You'll be rewarded for that. He says he shall be a vessel unto what? Anna. Sanctified. So this sanctification is not the one we have in Christ Jesus. This one came when the person decided to be a vessel of honor. This man is sanctified for a specific assignment. So he says, sanctified and meet for what? So not every believer is fit for the master's use. You must make yourself fit. Because if God cannot trust you, he can't entrust you. If you have a problem dealing with money, he can't entrust you. If you have a problem with integrity, he can't trust you with much. If you have a problem with lust, he can't trust you with much. Because he can't give you a thousand congregation full of fair ladies. He can't. Because you are not fit in that area. So, there are some, God doesn't give them certain things, not because he doesn't love them. But he's protect, protecting them. So watch certain prayers you are praying now. Lord, break me through to France. You are not establishing the gospel. When you go to France, if you don't take care, you will not serve God again. My brother went to France and he was like, he calls me father. Daddy, you won't believe it. That's my blood brother. If you are in France for a long time and you don't have roots, you will lose everything you invested in in your Christian life. So be careful of certain prayers. He says, and what? And what? Prepared. So you see, there is a preparation for use. Prepared unto every good work. So that man becomes ready for every. He didn't say some. He says every good work. God can call you to missions. He can, he, you, you can be used anywhere. Because you can't fail him. Haven't you realized that there are certain specific men of God? Or certain specific believers, God can make them flow in every environment. They pay their price for it. Give the same thing to me, the verse 20 in NLT. That will break it down. He says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of what? Wood and that's a sanka. So there are a sanka believers in the body of Christ. If President Kufon is coming to your house and he says, I'm coming for dinner, will you serve him with a sanka? 
You bring what? A pi- is it pilot or pirate? Or pirate? Paris. Thank you. You find, you know, these nice white glasses that have come. They call them what? Is it those nice ceramic? You give them your best. The most you have not eaten in it for two years, you give it to them. There are some of you who have nice glasses. I don't know whether you're waiting to die before you use them. I told my wife, every nice glass, bring it out. We are the best people. We must use it. So we, we brought everything out of the box. Our parents worried us. My mother is still having old bows now. 20 years ago. Nobody has used it. If you are going to tie her, fatwa, fatwa. You can't touch those bows. And it's for decorative purposes. Use it before you die. <laughs> Praise God. He says in a wealthy home. So you see, do you see that there are some things you don't keep in your hall? Do you keep your um, spade and your bowler in the hall? Do you keep your rubbish dump in the hall? Do you keep your um, long broom in your hall? Why? Because it's for hosting people, right? Do you put a sanka on a dining table? He's telling you that there are some things that are displayed for honorable purposes. Let's assume God has a hall. Will you be part of the people he will place? Stop watching me like a ninja in your nose mask. And think about it. Where will he place you? Will he place you close to the baller area? You are too useful, though, because at least you are used to collect baller. That's what I'm saying. Everybody will be used, but in every usage, there's a dosage of usage. So, if you are a sangria, you are still what? Used. <laughs> and some of wood and clay. The, exp- <laughs> the expensive utensils are used for. Can you be used for God's special occasion? Because hey, which occasion can God use for? For a funeral, or for a birthday party, or to host presidents? Oh my goodness! He says for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for every day. Use. I'm singing now. You see me. You know there, there are some bowls that when they get when they fall down and they crack, you just collect it and you go. There are some bowls when they fall down and they crack, you you meditate for thirty minutes, <laughs> like a radius way, radius way. Hi, you know that pain you feel. See, there are some saints who are so valuable that God will not want them to perish. Some of us, if we want to die, it's not possible. Because we have so many people to transform. So God says, no, the guy cannot come now. So that accident, he will just turn the car like that. You are watching my face. (laughs) It's true. And I'm speaking by faith. Because I'm a a life changer. God must preserve me for an honorable use. Look at the next verse. 
He says, if you keep yourself what? You will be what? A special utensil for what? Honorable use. Your life will be and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a pastor to be used of God. Can God entrust you with 16 billion dollars? And you won't change. Because humility can be seen when you are nobody. Every nobody is humble. He greets everybody with his hands at his back. Hello, sir. Shiniho. Hello, sir. I greet you, sir. Let's give you power and see. Let's give you some money and see. And let's see whether that respect that you claim you had was to show. You see, power is what changes everything. There are some of you, you, be careful. Prepare yourself. You don't need money. You need preparation. Are you following this? Some of you stop praying for money. And, and deal with that last. Because if God gives you 60 million dollars, you will kill the ladies like this. <laughs> Weekly and monthly. You'll be buying real estate houses for the ladies. And you'll be insulting churches. You don't know what is in your heart. That's why I said you must prepare. Are you ready for God's use? Yes, sir. We are ready, sir. I don't think you are ready. Ask someone, can God trust you? Ask again, can God really trust you? Tell somebody, bring the nose mask down. Let me, let, me, let me settle some scores with you. Let me settle some scores with you. Can God trust you? Ask the person. If you don't bring the nose mask, I'll blow my air on you now. Hey. Give it to me in message. No, uh, AMP, AMP. The verse 20. Look, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold, but of utensils, of wood and what? Earthenware. This one I said that sank up very well. Earthenware. And some for honorable and noble use, some for menial and ignoble use. Next verse. He says, So whoever cleanses himself from what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself from contact with what? Contaminating and corrupting influences. Hey! Will then himself be a vessel set apart? and useful for honorable and noble purposes, consecrated and profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work. It begins with a relationship. Don't be busy than your relationship with God. You start giving excuses. There is no excuse you have not to grow spiritually. You don't. You don't even have a single excuse. Work can't be an excuse because you have 24 hours. You work maximum 8 hours. 
And most of you don't know, I work close to 14 hours per day. I'm in full-time ministry. I work close to 14 hours per day. Close to 7 to 8 hours on prayer alone. And the rest of the four for praise, worship, and study of the word of God and reading books. So I work harder than almost everyone sitting here. You don't have an excuse. You just have not decided to spend time with the Lord. That's the only problem. What time do you wake up in the morning? Haven't you realized that it was since you started watching a season movie that everything began to change? If you have not noticed it, there is a problem already with you. Because you know you have to pray and you watch season movie from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And you expect to wake up at 5 and you add Indomie to it. Guys, the way of the kingdom doesn't work that way. You must be temperate. You decide that I watch movies just two hours. When I'm done, I'm done. I'm going to read a, a good spiritual book that's going to help me. I'm going to spend time to pray. I'm going to spend time studying the word of God. Please don't take this thing out of your life. If you're a student, you don't have an excuse. If you're doing your master's, you still don't have an excuse. If you're working, you don't have an excuse. If your work closes late, you still don't have an excuse. It's just about deciding. You know people say, I don't have time. That's a funny statement. If you are, if you are in a hurry going somewhere, and then a policeman stops you. He says, what's your license? You say, you don't have your license. He says, get down. Follow me to the police station. Will you tell him that you don't have time? That instant, you get time. So everybody has time. If you were working and you were busy and they called you that your mom is sick, admitted at the hospital. Will you say you are working so you know my hair? You will make time. So everybody has time. What's your priority? That's the question. What have you placed in your heart as treasured? No rich Christian experience comes without a dear price. No rich Christian experience comes without a dear price. I'm telling you. That sometimes you need to fight sleep when you're praying. You don't know? Someone says, man of God, do I have control over the sleep? How come when you're feeling sleepy at work, you're able to manage not to sleep at work? If you're a cashier at the bank and you feel sleepy, do you sleep on the desk? What do you do? You find gum and you start chewing gum because you don't want to lose your job. Many of you have comfortably lost your job with God. And many don't know that your spiritual life is business with God. It's business. And many of you are out of business because you give excuses for God. You, you don't give excuses for working for a human being. You faithfully go to lectures at 7 a.m. How you do it, nobody understands. You faithfully wake up at 3 a.m. to prepare for an interview. How you do it, no one understands. The same person who says, for me, I don't choke with my sleep, has time to wake up at dawn. So you see, we are living in a world full of excuses. Everybody is given an excuse not to be responsible. And that's the generation we are living in now. And if we don't break out of this resistance, that the devil, the flesh, and the world has given to us, they will define how we should worship God. And I'm telling you, the world is going to get worse. And only those who are intimate with God will rise and soar above the tidal waves of darkness that's about to hit this world. God called me as a prophet to announce to you what is about happening. 
And every Christian must be aligned with God. Every Christian must be aligned with God in his Christian experience. Years ago, if you are spiritual, people mocked you and they call you religious. I'm telling you, you are entering into a time if you are not spiritual, you will get out of the market. I'm telling you. People mocked us years ago. Today, it is those who are spiritual who will survive. I'm telling you. They will survive. What is about happening to the world? And they'll see the clear difference. And every Christian must rise up. Every Christian must rise up. Break off that lukewarmness. If you don't sleep at work, you can't sleep when you are praying. If you feel sleepy, find a way to get it out. If it's once in a while, fine. There can be times you can be extremely exhausted. You can minimize the time and then you go back. But listen to me. Make every effort to pray. Go and brush your teeth if you are feeling sleepy. Put your legs into water if you are feeling sleepy. Read the Bible loudly if you are feeling sleepy. Kneel down and walk on your knees like I do every time when I'm feeling sleepy. I walk on my knees. The prayer, the, the sleep stops within 10 minutes. I walk on my knees. The pain that comes on my knees keeps me praying. I have decided to reduce my, the quality of food I eat in the evening so I can wake up and don't to pray. Because if you are light before sleeping, you can be able to wake up every time. Try eating heavily and sleeping and let's see how your prayer life will go. So you see, it's a price. And God will repay you for every price you pay to advance in his kingdom. Why are we growing? Why are we growing spiritually? Why are we growing spiritually? For ourselves? No. We are growing spiritually so that God can find easy access through us to influence the hearts of men. Because the more immature and carnal the believer is, the more difficult it becomes for God to flow through him. Because that believer is rigid. He's working in unforgiveness. Lukewarmness in his prayer life. So how does God use his prayer to touch nations of the world? There are countries that need your prayers. They are going through suffering. Hunger. Terrible hunger. And you are playing game every single day. Please be serious. Because in this age, those who are unserious with God will pay a heavy price. And I speak to you again as a prophet. I'm announcing this to you. If you don't develop your spiritual life now when you have the chance, don't wait until you are married. Don't wait until you start having children. Start now. And let the mockers give you some time. Let's see how your life will end. The, the Lord bless the church. I want to give you five minutes. Just bow down your head right now. You're going to pray a prayer of sincerity to God. You are going to tell God that God, the man of God just spoke my heart right now. And I'm concerned. It's a prayer of humility. It can be a thought you are communicating with God. It can be soft words you are communicating with God. That God let my desire be for nothing except you. Let my yearning and my hunger be for your kingdom. And your kingdom only. Let it rule my heart. Oh yes, Lord. I have come to realize I can't give excuses anymore. 
I can't. I dare not give any excuses again. Because I've given so many excuses that is destroying my spiritual work with you. I have said that is my education. That is taking my time. Yet I'm able to have time to do other things despite my education. I said it's my job. Yet I'm able to watch TV when I come back from work. I said it's so many things. But Lord, I realize I don't have an excuse at all. And it's me all this time around. Lord, help me. I want to have a rich walk with you. And Lord, help me to be responsible. Help me to discipline myself to be with you. Help me to pay that price that is due me. I have believed that I am in a relationship with you through the blood of your son Jesus. But Lord, I have come to realize that intimacy with you comes with a price. Intimacy with you will cost me something, Lord. I want some intimacy. Begin to show me the way, Lord. Guide me, Jesus. I want to look like you outwardly. Though I know I'm like you inwardly. I want your nature to permeate through my soul and find itself expressed in my mortal body. Jesus! Help me! Jesus, help me! You can pray a prayer of sincerity where you can weep in your own soul when you see how it has been darkened by the world. When men yearn for God, they hunger for God and nothing else matters. Lord, help me to walk in purity. Lord, I don't want to be a vessel unto dishonor. I want to be a vessel unto honor. A vessel that can be used for every good work. Lord Jesus, I want to be in business with you enough of that promise and fail lifestyle where, where I tell you I'll read my Bible I don't care about you again I've come to know your grace I've come to know my love, your love for me but I've also come to know I'm lazy and every time I convince myself that your love will make me love you but I've come to realize that your love loves me the way I am but your love does not leave me the way I am and your love makes me accountable. Your love makes me responsible. Your love, your love, your love. Enough of all these promises. Empower me to mean business with you. I want to transact with you in the souls of men. I want to enter into a business relationship with you. Dealing with the hearts of men. oh Jesus we love you 
We love you, Jesus. Just close your eyes, just about five minutes more. Keep talking to Jesus. There are so many things you, you can talk to him about. You have no idea. You can't stay silent. So many things about your life, your prayer life, your Bible study life, how you relate with your mother, how you relate with your father, how you relate with your parents, how you relate with your sisters. Maybe some rudeness, something, something is just going on. Talk to Jesus about it.